Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the functional diagnostic nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. Hey guys, it is Detective Ev popping in here really quick. I wanted to let you know about a free event we have going on this weekend. It is May 7th, at uh, Saturday, May 7th, from 8.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. PST. The topic this time is called Truth, Lies, and Natural Hormone Therapy. Don't make these top three fatal mistakes with your clients. We have Reed Davis on there, who is the founder of FDN, if you somehow don't know that. And he's going to be with Dr. Kieran Dunstan, and they're going to be going over this together. They're will be a chance for you to participate at the end, I'm sure, and it's a completely free event. So what you want to do is go to fdntraining.com slash unmasked, and that'll get you to the link. All you got to do is type in your first name and email in there. That is fdntraining.com slash U-N-M-A-S-K-E-D. We're looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Hey, what is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And as you guys know, about almost maybe even two months ago now, we transitioned this podcast into talking more about the FDN certification program, the FDN course. And what's been really cool is you guys have seemed to love this. I've been surprised, actually, that some of the topics that we've put on that maybe I didn't expect to get nearly as many views or listens rather as they did. There are some of the top episodes now. And so thank you for bearing with us and me while I learn what you guys really wanna hear. And remember, you can always leave a comment or direct feedback All you have to do is go to our Podbean, that's a podcast platform. So search for the Health Detective Podcast on Podbean. Make a little account there. You can sign in with Google. It takes 30 seconds. And then you can actually leave us a comment about what you would like to hear. Someone had just recently done that with wanting to hear about osteoporosis. And within weeks, I had our episode released with an expert in our course certification program on that topic. We literally will do that for you. Now, with that said, when I don't have anything in the lineup specifically, we will continue our health interviews and relevant topics that I believe you guys are wanting to hear. We had a lot of success with the episode where we talked about the five things that you can do with your FDN certification. We thought you guys would like that, and it turns out you did. Now, with this one, I want to start talking about the labs that we use, and I guess I kind of already did this in our food sensitivity one, uh, or our food sensitivity episode, and I'm going to be breaking down the labs that we use progressively. Now, to be clear, as FDN graduates, we actually have access to over 60 labs, so you'll get to use all of them once you graduate, but the one that we use for stool testing is called the GI map. And we'll break down what the GI map is in just a second and why we believe this is one of the best uh, stool tests out there right now, but if you wanted to hear kind of all of the labs, then don't forget to go back to the one where we talked about food sensitivities. It was just several episodes back. And uh, that was the first one where we were really diving into the labs that we use in the course. So with that said, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of stool testing today, why it matters, why we use it, and then what do we look at with the GI map? What are you going to be trained in? 
The GIMAP by Diagnostic Solutions Laboratory uses a specific type of technology called PCR DNA testing. And if you're thinking, well, that sounds familiar. Didn't I have a PCR COVID test or didn't a lot of people have those? That would be correct. It is the exact same technology that was used in a lot of the COVID tests. Now, and I'm not saying this as a controversial statement. This has nothing to do one way or the other. So please don't get anything in your head. A lot of people had issues with the PCR testing. Also, it was really good at finding COVID though, right? And so where can we draw the line? Why was one side saying this? Why was one side saying the other? I don't care what either side was saying. That's not what this is about. What this is about is the technology. The reason some people had a problem with it is because PCR DNA testing is so good and so able to pick up on things that it was finding COVID in people that might have just had a very transient infection, meaning that this is just passing through them. They're completely asymptomatic. They are never going to get sick from COVID for whatever variety of reasons that allowed them to kind of avoid that or just not get sick. But that's a really brilliant technology in the world of stool testing when someone knows how to interpret it. And so I would be able to make that exact same argument, and this is why I will refuse to take a side with this, because the PCR DNA testing is fantastic if you have a knowledgeable person analyzing the results. Because this can go two ways. The main testing that had been on the market forever was stool culture testing. And a lot of naturopathic doctors use this. A lot of functional medicine doctors still use this. I am not saying it's not better than nothing. It certainly is. But there is kind of an issue with it. And in many cases, it can be looked at as almost this primitive technology. That's my opinion. When we're using a stool culture test, this is what's happening. We are taking someone's stool, the lab's taking someone's stool, and they are seeing what grows on that stool. And then they figure out, okay, well, like what happened here? And you know, what bacteria do we have, whatever. This is fine, but the issue with that, and this isn't an exaggerated number, this is actually quite literally what the number is, 95% of the bacteria and pathogens that live in our gut or could cause problems, when they are exposed to oxygen, they die. They cannot be detected. When you're waiting for something to grow on a stool culture, then it means you have a very limited window of what you're able to actually see. You're not gonna be able to see everything out there. That's kind of a problem. We used this for a while at FDN because FDN has been around for over 20 years. That was the best technology. And at the end of the day, it's not about the lab testing. That's very important for our training, don't get me wrong. But a good FDN practitioner is really someone who thinks well about this stuff. You could take away the labs from a person that's in FDN, you could take away the supplements, and they can still greatly help the person that's in front of them. Will they be as effective as someone who thinks the exact same way and has the labs? Most likely not. But it's more of a philosophy than anything, a way of thinking, a way of becoming a health detective that is actually intelligent when approaching health issues. We still use the stool culture when we could, that was fine. And now we've moved to the GI map because this is just the best technology. I mean, it's the newest stuff. If you have a good practitioner, it makes sense to use this. And I think after hearing the explanation, you'll understand why. As opposed to waiting for something to grow on the stool, what the PCR DNA testing is gonna be able to do is find the DNA of this stuff, as the name implies. That means even if it has died, we will be able to pick it up. You gotta be careful with stuff like this if you're a practitioner, because if you're not trained properly and you're running these tests and you will see a lot of, I'll just say people in the space who are doing this, they run the test 
And they address every little thing that comes up there. They address or treat this. If they're a doctor, they treat it. They address or treat every little thing that comes up there. But that's probably not the best idea. Because similarly to how there was issues with the COVID stuff, just because someone shows up hot or positive for a particular thing does not actually mean it's a problem for them. If I show up with H. pylori or you show up with H. pylori, it could be a problem for me. It might not be a problem for you. The good news about all of this is it is going to pick up a lot of stuff. It is highly accurate. Is there any stool test out there that's perfect yet? No, there is not. And I would be very weary and skeptical of anyone who suggests that or tells you that. That's just not the case. We're not there yet. Will that happen one day? I think there's hardly anything that humans can't do. I'm sure we'll get there. But there's nothing perfect yet. And that's why we need an intelligent, knowledgeable person behind the results actually interpreting them for us. When you show up with something on the test, what we train people to do is to actually look at that person because we're not treating anything specifically. And if that's the first time you heard this, what this means is that the FDN philosophy, we don't treat anything specifically. We address everything in a non-specific fashion. What is an example of that? If someone comes into a doctor's office with severe stomach pain, perhaps they get treated for an, um, you know, with an antacid or Prilosec, a proton pump inhibitor, whatever. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. They've treated the symptom though, nonetheless. No one was ever asking, well, why is the stomach pain there? Or at best, they said, well, it's because of an overproduction or overabundance of stomach acid leading to this issue. So we'll just treat the stomach acid if that's the issue. That's still not being a little kid. And what I mean by being a little kid is asking those questions over and over and over again. You know how kids ask why continuously? We need to ask then, well, why is there an overabundance of stomach acid? And by the way, that's very often not even a thing. It's very hard for there to be too much stomach acid. It's usually it's going in the wrong place or it's coming out at the wrong times. That's more likely. But then we need to ask, well, why is that happening? So we're continually asking why until we get to the bottom of things. Hey folks, it is Detective Ev here popping in really quick. If you are listening to this interview thinking, hey, you know what? I'd like to go do work like this. I wish I could help people with their health challenges. As you can see, it kind of changes the entire course of their life. Well, now we have the ability for you to actually try the FDN course completely for free. There's two things that I want to share with you today. Either one, you can go to fdntraining.com slash try FDN. That's fdntraining.com slash try FDN. And that'll allow you to actually try the first few um, lessons in the course completely for free free. Or if you've been listening for a while and you know this is something you want to do, but you have to get some questions answered, go to fdntraining.com slash call. That's fdntraining.com slash call. So if you want to try the course for free, use that first option. And if you're ready to kind of get some more questions answered, use that second one. All right, now we're back to the episode. Because of this in the world of FDN, it's not that the stomach pain's irrelevant per se. It's that it's a symptom. And we know by definition, a healthy body and healthy brain should not have really any symptoms. So we need to look deeper and go further than just the symptom. Now, can we give something or recommend something rather to the person to provide them with a little intelligent relief while they're figuring out what that is? Of course we can, right? We don't want people to be suffering. That's crazy. So yes, we absolutely can do that. But if we never ask why, this is the dilemma. The other side of this kind of treats things a little too fast and they might be able to provide immediate relief and that's wonderful. 
But the issue is when that's all that you do and you don't take it any further, now you're going to have the problem of an issue, well, the issue either coming back in and of itself or another issue that looks different or disconnected, but it's actually coming back because of the same reason that issue A came into uh, existence for. I hope that makes sense. Now, this is actually a very relevant time to be recording this. It's kind of uh, funny, but I'm always very transparent about my health journey. I have no problem sharing anything. My health is really damn solid. I've been doing really well over the last several years, especially as someone who has been sick most of his life. But over the last month and a half, I started to have this stomach pain creep in, and it was pretty surprising. I've had this before in my life, but it's been so long that it happened, especially on a consistent basis. I just didn't think it was possible. I didn't think this was a thing that was going to happen to me ever again. But nonetheless, we're working with it right now. And I'm someone, too, that doesn't just... I'm not going to jump the gun on anything because there are times where we're under high stress, and it literally could be something like that. I make sure that there's actually something going on. But now at this point, unfortunately, it's been long enough where I'm thinking, okay, that's probably something I want to get checked out. So what I'm going to be able to do is course correct because I already do the fundamental principles that are taught in FDN. I'm really good with the lifestyle stuff. I am working a lot right now because I do a lot outside of FDN. So that could trigger some things, but still it seems to me like something has probably come out. Rather than play a guessing game, even though I have some probably intelligent guesses about what this could be, I need to test and not guess. And then what you usually find is when you test, it's not exactly what you thought or wasn't as simple as you thought. And then you have the practitioner. I always use mentors for this. I never just read my own lab results. I think that's good to be able to read your own lab results. Obviously, I can do that. But why would I not get a second set of eyes and a second set or a second wisdom, if you will, to kind of figure out the big picture. And it's always good to, to have someone that's looking from the outside in because we come up with our own biases. We make excuses. Generally speaking, it can be good to have someone that can put us in to check for us. So I'm going to get that checked out. I'll keep you guys posted, but that's one of the amazing things that I can have faith in with this GI map. I know between the test itself, the training that we have and the mentors that we have, I am going to be able to figure out what I need to work on. So I know that you guys are probably interested in certain markers and like, what is this test actually looking at? I'm going to briefly break down each category of this test. Keeping in mind, please keep in mind the whole time, you're going to be trained in this if you go through the FDN course. You'll know exactly what we're talking about. I know it's a lot, but you'll know what to do. It's extensive training. And of course, there's mentorship in the course, as we've talked about in uh, previous podcasts. So I'm going to go right down the line. I have some sample results here with me. First section is pathogens. Now, this is looking at bacterial pathogens uh, on the top. And when we're looking at that, it's more talking about pretty serious infections. A lot of the time, if anything comes up on this, you're going to be seeing someone that might have, <clears throat> excuse me, might have had food poisoning or a temporary infection. Most of the time, if something shows up on this first section, the client or patient, if you're a doctor, has no idea that they even had it or, again, it was a stomach bug that lasted maybe 24 hours. Nothing serious. Occasionally, we do get some more serious things on there and we know how to address those if need be, but thankfully, most of the time, this section is pretty clear. After that, we look at the parasitic pathogens and we look at parasites separately in another section. 
But again, this is the big guns. We're looking at Giardia. We're looking at Cryptosporidium. Um, it's not good stuff. You don't really want to have this. Not that you want to have any of this, I guess. <laughs> um, if someone is dealing with this, we really need to make sure that they have an intelligent protocol. They're doing everything diligently because we don't want this to come back up on a retest. This stuff is, is tricky. Giardia, for example, can hide in the gallbladder even when it's getting addressed. If someone's taking all the supplements or if they went to, uh, went to Western medicine and chose to address it that that way which is totally fine we're not dogmatic here then it could hide other ways and these people need to realize that the clients need to realize that so that they can make sure it all gets out we also have viral pathogens on here i have run a lot of these tests i've actually never seen someone show up for any viral pathogen so that's nice now the next section is for h pylori which is helicobacter pylori i've talked about this before on the podcast it's come up many times you might have heard a lot of the people that we've interviewed say hey i had h pylori on my gi map what's really funny about h pylori is a lot of people will say it's not a big deal not a huge thing and generally speaking i think if you're asymptomatic i I tend towards believing that in clinical practice. Although ironically, I think this is probably what I'm dealing with right now because I know H. pylori has been a thing for me in the past and I am symptomatic, so it does matter. Nonetheless, for the sake of today, what I'm getting at is H. pylori has an entire section dedicated to itself and we are also looking at these virulence factors. Now, the virulence factors, if you do show up for them, which unfortunately I've showed up for them in the past, they are more associated with the problematic things that H. pylori can bring in, such as gastric cancer in the future. If virulence factors are showing up, even if the person's asymptomatic, that's probably something we're going to want to look at one way or another. Maybe it's not, hey, let's do it tomorrow, but let's make sure this gets addressed. So we have many, many markers that we're looking at that for. And what I find fascinating about this is that this bacteria is believed, or I should say known, to have come out of the continent of Africa. And in a lot of places where the world is maybe a little more underdeveloped, although interestingly, Africa has the fastest growing economy um, as a whole in the entire world, which is kind of cool. But still, a lot of the places are not up to, <clears throat> up to our standards with sanitation. It, it just doesn't happen. And so it's estimated that about one in two people have H. pylori in some form or fashion in Africa. Now, in the United States of America, which most of our listeners are in, but we have plenty of you know Canadians and uh, United Kingdom listening. Shout out to you guys and everywhere else around the world that's hopping on and listening. We appreciate you guys. FDN is available in over 50 countries around the world, by the way. We have practitioners in 50 countries right now. In America, it is believed that H. pylori is a lot less. But what I find interesting is how many people that are showing up and doing the type of work that we do at FDN show up with H. pylori. I would say out of all the GI maps I've run in my five years of being here, it wasn't the GI map when I first started. It came out like three and a half, four years ago for FDN at least. I shouldn't say came out. It was around, but we started using it. Man, I mean, that was, I don't know, 80% of people that I've ever run this on have shown up hot for H. pylori. That's a lot higher than the estimated like 20, 30% for America. And I don't know if that's just because we're completely missing it because the testing hadn't been good in the past or if sick people just tend to have things like this more. I, I have no idea. I think it's probably a bit of both with a little more of the second. But nonetheless, we're going to check for this, figure this out, and look at that stuff. After that comes the section for normal bacterial flora. This is flora that's supposed to be there or bacterial strains that, that are supposed to be there. But maybe they're too high or too low and that could be causing problems depending on what strain it is. And we get that checked out. 
Um, after that, let me go down here. We have the opportunistic bacteria. So these are the fun little guys that might be in there. They might not be. Either way, they are opportunistic because they love to take control and grow themselves when they know that the host is weak. So when there's other infections or when the host is under a lot of stress, the host is you, by the way, <laughs> or me potentially as a client or a practitioner. When that's happening, or yeah, maybe it was just a bad time, we took a bunch of antibiotics, these things will say, hey, well, we're gonna use this as an opportunity to grow, and a lot of the times we need to get those back down, possibly even eliminated, ideally. They can be associated with different autoimmune disease uh, diseases or a variety of different symptoms that we don't want clients or ourselves to have. The next one is a section where it's directly about potential auto autoimmune triggers. And more often than not, I think most people would make the argument that we just, there's no reason to have these. And so we're going to try to do our best to clear those things out or at least keep them at a very minimal level. After that is fungi and yeast, which of course Candida is on. If you're in this space, you've probably heard of Candida. Candida albicans is something that all humans have, but Similarly to the opportunistic bacteria, you can consider this an opportunistic yeast. It is going to be like, oh my goodness, great, this person took antibiotics, I'm going to grow. This person is abusing alcohol, I'm going to grow. This person is abusing carbohydrates, I'm going to grow. It, it, there's many ways that this can happen. If you are someone with extraordinary sugar cravings, like I'm going to get up in the middle of the night and go get this stuff, you could have a candida overgrowth. There's other reasons that it can happen, but it, it can happen with that. We look at viruses, Epstein-Barr vi uh, virus, a cytomegalovirus. I always mess that one up. I don't have to say it often. <laughs> um, these are things that do come up every now and then, especially the Epstein-Barr that's associated with mono. And for some people, this could still be chilling in decent amounts in the body. And if it's activated, could lead to different symptoms. After that, we're looking at other parasites. A really common one that's going to show up here is Blastocystis hominis, and it's with hominis at the end because it could have or occur in animals. It's very common in like farm animals, dogs. Unfortunately, can happen in all those things, and it could be transferred to humans. Now, at the end, oh by the way, there's a section for worms, but I don't find that usually shows much. At the end, there's a section for intestinal health, and we get to look at digestion. We uh, digestion. We get to look at. Uh, liver function here, believe it or not, which does have to do with certain parts of intestinal health. There's a marker called beta-glucuronidase, and that's associated with liver function. There's also a cult blood. That's definitely necessary. This might show up in very small amounts sometimes. This is actual blood, not digested blood. It'll show up in small amounts sometimes with women who are cycling. It'll happen with men or women who are maybe dealing with, um, uh, oh my gosh, what's the word? Hemorrhoids. <laughs> Not a word you have to say every day, right? <laughs> Thankfully, I don't have to say it every day. They could be with that too. So we have to use some intelligence here and wisdom figuring out just like, those words are coming up obviously a lot, but that's what we kind of are training our practitioners in, right? Is to be intelligent about this stuff and use uh, an amount of wisdom when analyzing these results. With that occult blood, if it's low and there's other things like the cycling going on or the hemorrhoids, okay, maybe not the biggest deal. But if this is high, we're always going to refer out to a gastro, um, like a GI specialist, okay, to figure out what else is going on there. After that, we're able to see the immune function. So we're able to look at secretory IgA, which is a very strong, very needed immune or line of immune defense that is going to occur in the gut. We also have oral secretory IgA, so that occurs obviously, as it sounds, in the saliva. And then there's anti-gliadin, IgA, which is an immune marker for 
a protein in gluten. So it's not going to cover everything or every way that you can be sensitive to gluten, not even close, but it is a way that many people are sensitive to it. There's also a marker for calprotectin, which is kind of a general gut inflammatory response. It's kind of interesting as a practitioner, I've seen over the years, this doesn't get high in some people when you totally expect it to be high and then in others the rest of their gi map could look kind of clean and yet their calprotectin is really high i haven't figured that one out yet but it does happen and it's relevant because if we know that that response is super high there's many things that we can do to help chill out the gut in that moment a last little section on the gi map is antibiotic resistant genes so you actually could use this very helpfully for your client. If they choose a Western medicine route based on the results that they get, then they could take this to their doctor and figure out a more intelligent route of treatment for things like H. pylori. Pretty cool stuff. Now, with that said, I think that covers just about everything I wanted to cover today. So that is what we use for our gut testing. We use the GI map. Could that evolve in the future? Absolutely, it could. Do we have access to more gut tests as practitioners? Yes, we do, but this is the main one that is taught in the course, and oh my goodness, not only are you going to learn more about leaky gut than you ever wanted to learn, and just how the digestive tract actually works and how it's relevant to our mental and physical health, but I think we are some of the best, if not the best, trained people in intelligent protocols for actually addressing the bacteria, parasites, or anything else that can show up on the GI map if your client chooses to take a natural route. I will say, as someone who's been doing this for five years, I have never once had a client that chose the Western medicine route. Will it happen sometimes? Yes. Is that okay if it does? Absolutely. Let your client do that. They have the right to do that. But most of them want to take a more natural approach, and we leave you fully equipped, that is for sure, with anything that could possibly show up on there. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you are kind of liking learning more about what we do in the course or the labs that we use, definitely leave me a comment or leave a five-star review and leave that in the review. Then I can give you more episodes on what you want. I am here to talk about the things that you guys want to talk about. And if you just like the content in general, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. We try to do our best to make this free. We don't have external sponsorships, generally speaking. So we would really appreciate if you guys could help us get this information out there to the people who actually need it. I am looking forward to talking to you guys again soon. I'll be back next time with another interview. But until then, take care.